We're going to return back to our study of the life of Christ. Uh, we've been in the Sermon of the Mount um, a few weeks ago. We, we, you got through about the first 13, 14 uh, verses, and we're going to move forward in that today. Um, I, I'd just like to open it a word of prayer, if you would, with me as we turn our attention there. Um, Father, I, I just give you this time. I give you your word back to you, Lord, that it would not return void in our hearts. I ask you to speak to us. You know each and every one of us. You know the weeks we've had. You know, Lord, what we need for this week to come. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit, that the word will resonate with it within our hearts, that in our attentiveness, Lord, that you will speak and that any whatever part I play in it, Father, would just fall by the wayside, but that it will be the truth of your word that comes forth. Thank you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever started something and not completed it? Think about it. You know, we're, we're five months into a new year, and how many of us started a diet in the beginning of the year? I'm trying to lose 20 pounds. Um, you know, and sometimes you try to lose that and it falls by the wayside. Maybe we, we only lose 10 and you kind of get satisfied with it and you say, oh, that's enough. Folks, I'm so tired of breaking my diet, I decided I'm only going to diet in between meals so I can be successful from now on. <laughs> so, as Aaron says, I choose happiness and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> How about maybe you, you've tried to save a certain amount of money. You had that goal to save this money and to put so much away every paycheck and, and, and you do good for a while and then kind of it, it falls by the wayside and you know, you're only able to save a, a certain portion of it. Maybe it's an exercise program. You had a goal of you know, being able to do so many you know, push-ups or sit-ups or, or run so far and, and you get into it and pretty soon it's fallen by the wayside and you, you've only reached part of your goal. You know, I think it's human nature that we have good intentions and that we start things, but many of the things that we start, we stop. Or maybe we only half-heartedly go into them and involve ourselves in the projects. And someone might step back and say, well, you know, at least, you know, I lost 10 pounds. I didn't hit my goal, but I lost 10 pounds. Or I saved $100. Or that exercise that I did receive, however long or short it was, it's better than not having any exercise at all. And, and that's pretty much a very human truth and a human reaction. Yet there are many people who approach a relationship with God in the same way. Start, stop, start, stop. You know, now we follow, but in this area, we don't follow. We find today there are many churches, many religions claiming God's word is their foundation, but they only follow certain parts of it. They ignore other parts of it. People often feel that they just need some religion. And, and folks, isn't some religion better than nothing? Isn't some religion better than nothing? That's a good question. In fact, it's a question that we're going to look at today. Is it enough just to have some religion? And it's better than not having any religion at all. We're going to let God answer that question for himself as we go back to the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be in chapter 5, if you'd like to turn there, in verses 17 through 20. And I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me as God's word is read. 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think, Jesus says, that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We've seen it. I want to start out with just a little bit of a history lesson. 1,800 years earlier than this, God had begun a program on earth. He called out a special people that were going to be his children. We know them as the Jewish nation. This program of God's calling out this relationship that God was going to have with the, the Jewish people, it had a lot of privileges with it. You know, they had the revelation of God, another God was speaking to them. There was the protection of God. We read it in the Old Testament of all the miracles, God intervening on their behalf. There was a unity with God. Along with this relationship, there was also a manual that let the Jews and others know what the ground rules were, what were, you know, in, in God's relationship, what God's ground rules were. It was called the Mosaic Law, and they had the prophets as well. God kind of told them, you know, what, what it means to be a child of his. And yet, if you know your Old Testament, you know, over and over is the record of the Jews constantly wandering away from the word of God. They didn't leave it, but they picked and chose. They added other beliefs to it. They ignored certain parts of it. And by the time you get to the time of Jesus Christ that he lived, they had so many add-ons to their faith that you know they, they, they adhered more to those add-ons than they did to the actual word of God. If you remember when we started this message, we talked about 365 prohibitions that the Pharisees added to the law of God. Then there were an additional 248 commandments that were added to the word of God. And so muddled was their faith that pretty soon they were adhering more to those things that man had said than what God had said. And, and their faith, again, it got so muddled, their belief that when Christ came to this earth, he had to address many of the questions that they had concerning him. Here he is, the Messiah. I mean, he's the fulfillment of their prophecies. He's the one that they were looking for. And so when he comes, they hardly didn't even recognize him coming. He had to answer questions. Questions like, was Christ offering a new faith? You know, are we to ignore the old beliefs or, you know, just part of them, you know, that Christ was fulfilling or wants us in part of them, but there's something new coming? The question of, is God finished with the law of Moses? Has he moved on to something else? Well, answers to these will give us a lot of insight into the character of God and the relationship that he seeks to have with his children if you put your faith and your trust in him. So I first, I first want to start by saying God finishes what he starts. 
God finishes what he starts. He doesn't start it and then stop it. He doesn't go into a plan B. He's not like us that gets partway through it and says, boy, it's getting tough, and I guess, you know, we're on to something else, but hey, some is better than nothing. You know, at least it worked for a couple hundred years, and, you know, now maybe it's not working. No, God finishes what he starts. He said in verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. That's because people came, and I mean, the, the, the life that godliness that Christ was living was so different than what the religious leaders were, were, were living. And so their question, are you coming to give us something new? Are the law and the prophets no more? He says, no. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. I mean, many of them thought that through Christ, that somehow God was just scrapping the whole program that he had with the Jews. Again, you know, Christ's godly living looks so much different than the hypocrisy that they saw around them of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and, and the high priest. But folks, God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't have to start over. He is committed to the covenants that he has made to his people, and he makes it very clear here. Christ was letting the people know that his life, his teachings, they were all in step with God's fulfilling his law and his revelation. I mean, his, the religious leaders, they were the ones that were out of step, but Jesus Christ comes in perfect step. Don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And so everything that's going to happen even his crucifixion, the, the shedding of his blood, the hatred of the religious leaders towards him, all that's going to happen in the time of Christ, it was all part of God bringing about his word and his fulfillment. Christ said, I came to fulfill it all. And one of the most reassuring characters of God is that he does not change. God is committed to what he starts. And when God has made a commitment to you, Regardless of where you are today, regardless of if you're close to God, if you're far from God, God is committed to what he starts. And God is still committed to you. You don't have to worry that you'll surrender your life to Christ, but then suddenly that rug's going to be pulled out from under you and that God isn't going to be there for you. You know, I think, think of the world and, you know, we, you know, TV, the internet and everything. There's so many advertisements on there to, you know, that, that just make so many false claims. I mean, drink our beer and you'll be in the same company of these million-dollar athletes. And the truth be told, if that, that million-dollar athlete saw you, would probably cross to the other side of the street. I don't want anything to do with you. Use our perfume, use our fashion, our beauty products, and you'll have these hunks surrounding you that are so romantic. You know, guys, I, you know, this is Mother's Day, so I need to tell you, your wife doesn't get up at 6.30 in the morning and wistfully sit in a bay window and watch the sun rise as she drinks her, you know, cup of international Swiss mocha coffee or whatever. I mean, the truth of it is, probably most of you don't have a bay window. It's cloud cover and the baby's crying, needs its diaper changed, and that's a reality of life. But, but the world puts such a perception out there that they don't follow through. The world does not fulfill most of what it claims, but God does. And that should be reassuring to you if you're a Christian. 
regardless of what's going on in life, regardless of if you feel you're living victorious or you're struggling in your faith right now. Because there's a verse in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. We'll put this up for you. It's a short verse. It says, but I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. This is God making a commitment to you. This is God making a commitment to me. And he's confident that the one who began that good work in you will complete it. He's going to bring it about. He's going to keep working on it. You know, we might sometimes feel like we're getting derailed, but God is never derailed. When God commits to something, he follows through with it. And you could go to all sorts of scripture of promises or, or, or even commands that God gives us, and God stands behind it. You know, in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, it says this, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, you say, wow, if I obey God in that, and I love, you know, and, and I surrender myself and I give, you know, what happens if God disappears? And I pour myself out to love the unlovable and, and, and love my uh, neighbor and love my enemy. Is God going to be there for me? And God says, yes, I'm going to be there for you. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says this, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have something against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. So when God says part of being a child of God is to learn the forgiveness of God and learning how to forgive. And you have someone who has so offended you, a family member, you have something maybe that has happened in your life that is so horrible, you know that when you forgive, when you forgive, God will also forgive your transgressions. That God doesn't abandon you and you forgive and now you're all out there and, and you know, just with your pain and with your suffering. God holds true. He is committed to you and the promises and the commands that he gives you to follow through with all of them in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, another verse, another promise and command that's given. It says, for you know that if this earthly tent which is our house is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So, you know, however long you have been a Christian, how many, many years you have been plugging along in your faith and, and trying to become more Christ-like and serving and, and, and giving of yourself and, and having the devotions and leading your families, know this for sure. You're not going to get to the end and God's going to say, oh, I'm sorry, there's something else there. No, God says, I have a, a house for you. I have a place for you, a dwelling place for you. That's a promise. He's talking about a heaven that he has for each and every single one of his children. In Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 31, it says this, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. God says, I hear. I see every single sacrifice we made. Every single time that maybe you've, you, you step forward in your faith, and maybe a family member or a friend or somebody at work has turned away from you, you've not lost. He says, There's, that's going to happen that's going to happen when you're truly walking the Christian life. But he says there's going to be something that's going to replace that. And folks, for me, I've got to tell you, I, whenever I read this, I think about the church. 
I think about the church and, and, and this tremendous organism that God has given us and the brothers and the sisters and the, the older people who, have, who you know, mentor us and pour into us and the younger. And I think about the church family and no matter what, whatever you have asked, been, you've been asked to give up within maybe your flesh and blood family, I, I always think God has given me something more. God has given all of us something more. Christ made it plain to the people that he spoke to that God completes what he starts. And to what degree he is committed to his, to his word and to us, it says there in verse 18, I love this, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now if you have a King James Bible, it says not a single jot nor tittle will pass away. And, and you know, I think that's just a little more descriptive. A jot would be the smallest letter uh, that was in the Greek alphabet. The tittle would be just a description of even, even a, a, the, the slightest stroke of the pen that has made every single thing. That's how much that God is committed to fulfill you know, his word. And many today, they might look at the Bible and they say, well, it's outdated. You know, it doesn't apply to life in you know, the 21st century. Maybe it had its time, but now it's outlived its usefulness. God says, not only do I stand behind my word, but he says that word will last forever. I loved last week in the baptism service when I asked one of the kids what your favorite verse is. Remember what they said? Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's a precious truth for us never to forget. No matter what our circumstances are, our God stays the same. And his word, it doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be added to it. We don't need to culturally massage it. You know, the principles in God's word that were true 2,000 years ago are true today. Sin is still sin. We may color it differently today, but sin is still sin. Sin still separates from us from God. Sin's account one day must be paid for. And the only way for our accounts of sin to be paid for is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a truth, and it'll never change. His death on the cross is the only way to be forgiven for your sins. And God still blesses those, then, who are his children, who worship him in spirit and truth. And this will be true until everything is brought to be accomplished. No accounts, you know, and when he was saying not, you know, not a jot nor a tittle, he said no accounts, nothing, not even the smallest thing. God doesn't forget. God knows and he remembers. And that's the great reminder that we have in the very beginning of the book here, that God is reminding the people that are on that mountainside that he is teaching, that God doesn't forget. God is true to his word. There's, um, there's a couple parables in Luke chapter 14 that speak to, to what a, a believer's life should entail. And um, it's interesting, as Christ is telling these parables, he even ties it to a very familiar verse of the Sermon of the Mount. Let me read it for you. It's a, it's a longer portion. It's in, in Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 28 through 35. Jesus is speaking. He says, For which one of you, <clears throat> when he wants to build a house, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able 
to finish? Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, will the other, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. He goes on finally and he says at the end of the summary of this, he says, therefore salt is good. But even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Folks, this speaks about the depth of our salvation, the depth of what it means to be born again, what it means to be a child of God. That when someone says, I accept Christ as my Savior, I believe, you know, it's not just, oh, I believe, yeah, you know, like I believe there's an Australia, even though I've never been there, I don't really care about it that much. But it's speaking about the depth of it. That when someone makes that decision, when someone becomes a child of God, doesn't, he, he first needs to know what is, is part of that, what it means to be a child of God. You know, it speaks about, you know, those who are, receive him need to receive him in entirety. We don't receive Christ on our terms. We receive Christ on his terms. We don't say, yes, he is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. You know, we don't say, I'll accept the foundation, but I'm not going to accept the building that he puts upon it. You know, some is not better than nothing when it comes to Christ. And just, well, I, you know, at least I had a little bit, and I'll stand before God, and that little bit, you know, at least will give me something. No. It is everything or it is nothing with our God. You know, we don't accept some things and not others. You know, I'll accept the foundation again, but not the building. Of that faith, it says in verse 35 there, it says, it says, it is useless, that faith is useless, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking about the person, you know, that when they accept, they didn't accept the whole package. They basically picked and chose. They accepted Christ on their own terms. And doesn't sound a little bit familiar to, to the, right after the Beatitudes where Christ says in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled under the foot of men. You see, my whole point in even in stopping and pausing on these verses because they reveal to us something about the character of God that if you're a believer in Christ, you need to know. You need to know God's commitment to you. You need to know God's faithfulness to you. You need to know God's commitment to the promises that he has given us. And so the question I'm going to ask you as you close here is, are you still building on that foundation of Christ? Folks, this isn't like a diet or a savings plan or an exercise plan that, well, you know, I'll do it for a while and at least something is better than nothing. Are you still engaged in your faith? Are you growing in knowledge, putting yourself in a position, in a place whether it's your own personal Bible study or devotions or you know, adult Bible you know, fellowships or Bible studies, whatever it might be, to, to, to grow in your knowledge and truth of God? Desiring that Christ-like, do you still have that? To desire a Christ-likeness? Not that, you know, at, well, it's good enough, I'm just going to coast in here till eternity. But is that desire there to still be like Jesus Christ? Are we engaged in everyday life with our faith? Not just here on Sunday morning, not just here when everybody is, you know, building us up and, you know, it's, it's easy to be you rah-rah here, 
But what happens when you go away from here? What happens when you're at work? What happens when your buddies are you know, going against that, the Christian culture? Or your, your friends or somebody in your neighborhood or whatever it might be? Are you engaging Christ in that everyday life or do we set him aside? God has made a promise to us in Philippians chapter 1-6. I am confident, Paul says, of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is committed to that in your life. Do you still have that commitment for Jesus Christ? Father, I'm going to ask you to speak to our hearts individually, Lord. For each one of us, you know, the answers may vary. In some areas we may, and others we may be failing. Father, this, this is a challenge to us. I want to challenge myself to never stop. You say until the day of Jesus Christ, till I stand before you, until you, or you call me home, Lord, whatever it might be. Father, I want to have that same commitment for you that you are committed into me. So I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here that you will challenge us, Lord, into maybe whatever areas it is that we need to turn over to you and begin pursuing you once again. Thank you, Father. In thy son's name we pray. Amen.